0: Welcome to Direct Audio Movie Discussions Podcast. My name is Spencer, and happy Halloween! Or at least it's when I'm recording it, so if you're listening to this afterwards, just pretend like you're celebrating again. It is the best day of the year for some. Other people don't really like Halloween as much, and we don't talk to them because this is a spooky season on the pod, and it's full of many things. Candy, apple cider, dressing up, and of course, horror movies, and we've had a whole whole season dedicated to it. We're always going to have Halloween episodes and spooky season type episodes and horror movies scattered about. We've covered Gremlins, Jaws, Black Christmas, The Guest. We cover, you know, horror and horror adjacent movies all year round. But this season is obviously always dedicated to spooky season type movies and horror movies. And I wanted to do a last-minute trick-or-treat type episode. As I always do, I try to have one that kind of ends it. So last year we had Halloween Ends, literally. Uh, the review for that movie. <sighs> yeah, that one but, uh, with Cindy. And then the year before that was our little quiz game that I found. That was kind of cool, and it was um, like movies based on certain topics, and we kind of ran through those. But this year I'm doing something a little bit different. I saw... A, uh, a Reddit thread, and it was uh, best horror movie from A to Z. And it would be like A, hey, and then everybody would vote, and then it would come up, and then they'd go through blah, 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 And Reddit kind of messed that up, which is fine. you know. Uh, people get enamored with certain movies, and they don't pick the right letters. Like Candyman is C. Sorry, folks, it's that one. And like S, there are a couple different options, but they went with some weird ones, and it's fine. But I want to do something a little bit different. So what we'll be doing today is a brief episode where it's just the A to Z of horror movies um, and give me a little leeway with these letterings. Um, some of them are hard and I might use someone's first name. I might use someone's last name. I might use a sentence. I might do something a little bit different for each letter just to kind of get to a topic of something that is very important to the horror genre. And obviously horror is widespread. It is decades and centuries old, and it is adaptations of stories and books and plays and many different things. And obviously, as horror fans, we all know our favorite genre, our favorite director, our favorite style of movie, but we might not know everything. And this hopefully covers a little bit of everything in horror. And if your favorite person or favorite style of movie doesn't get covered here. Just know that there were a couple different options I could have gone with with all these letters. But I tried to cover the most ground with what I picked for each letter. And some of them are obvious. It's like I can't leave this out because it is such a staple. So without further ado, we're going to jump in to horror movies from A to Z. Starting off with the letter A, it is an obvious one. It is one of the greatest of all time to put his mind to the horror genre, and that is Mr. Alfred Hitchcock. The silhouette himself directed over 50 movies in over 50 years, with some of the iconic ones being Psycho, obviously, Dial M for Murder, The Birds, Rear Window, Vertigo, He has made not only horror movies, but he made movies that touched up on multiple different genres and starting slasher movies with thrillers, with murder mysteries. Everything you can think of, Alfred Hitchcock was a part of it, and I don't think we get the directors that we have now and the movies that we have now without his iconic presence uh, looming over our genre. He also will show up again in a separate one of these with a thing that he did in his later part of his career where he would, you know, I may I'll just save that for that letter coming up, but I don't think you can have this list start off with anybody else, but arguably the greatest horror director of all time, Sir Alfred Hitchcock, because yes, he was knighted. B brings us a little more modern with Blumhouse, the powerhouse production studio started by Jason Blum in the early 2000s. Blumhouse has made other movie genres and has been nominated for many Oscars, but the key genre that Blumhouse has really put its force into is horror. With its big launching movie of Paranormal Activity in 2009, it has slowly become a staple in our household name movies, including Insidious, Sinister, Uh, Five Nights at Freddy's movie that just came out, Invisible Man, that came out a couple years back. Multiple horror reboots like Halloween, Black Christmas, the newest Exorcist movie. I'm not saying all of these are good, but the wonderful thing is is that they are not only keeping those old IPs alive, but they're bringing out new ones. We had Megan, Get Out, Freaky. Blumhouse has come into the horror genre, and really in the 2010s, pairing with Universal, Has launched a new generation of horror fans. I think if you look at the list of movies that they've produced, you will see films that have truly shaped the genre for years to come. And I think there are many things that could have been the letter B on this, but as much as we like to look at the past, we have to look at the future, and Blumhouse has taken that, run with it, and I think the genre is in really good hands. Our letter C is my favorite director, Carpenter. For John Carpenter. John has not only added one of the most iconic horror characters and movie villains of all time to our Lexicon with Michael Myers, but he has added my favorite movie as well, The Thing, into people's minds, the remake of the Howard Hawks film, The Thing from Another World. John has always loved horror and hasn't an had appreciation for the genre. And Yes, the studios have not really been kind to him, but I think John has never let that deter him. Making movies like Christine, the Stephen King novel adaptation, but then going off of that and making Prince of Darkness, In the Mouth of Madness. We're not going to talk about Vampires from Mars, but They Live is also an iconic film that I think some people think is horror, but then also sci-fi kind of blends that. But he's always had those horror elements. But I think the unappreciated part of John's craft besides his dedication, is his musical genius on top of it. Doing the score for Halloween, the new Halloween franchises. And then also he has a multiple different CDs and albums that have come out that are just spooky music. And I think that's kind of fun to be able to see that his heavy synth scores will reverberate through your mind if you're listening to it. And I think it's hard to put my love for John in one little so I want to keep these brief to about like a minute or two tops, but with John making the thing and Halloween, I don't think I'd be into horror as much as I am without his handiwork really just falling into my lap when I'm younger. And I think a lot of us feel that way too, with Halloween being a staple on the actual day and more and more people seeing all the work that he's done and giving him the appreciation that he deserves even though he does not care and just wants to play video games uh and eat candy because he is the fucking man um d though could have also been technically for c and if we're going off of people whose minds have truly shaped horror cinema you don't get any weirder than david cronenberg the body horror king himself David Cronenberg has added this horrifying style to our film history. I mean, a lot of us know him from The Fly, but Video Drone is really the one that took the Cronenberg-esque style, and that phrase there, Cronenberg, has gone into the actual general populist lexicon. I know it's been referenced in, like, Rick and Morty and other cartoons and other types of shows... Cronenberg is synonymous with body horror and just the complete deterioration of the human anatomy. And if you've never seen a Cronenberg movie, I really suggest you look into them first before you start to dive in because if body horror is not your thing, you are not going to like it. And if you like body horror and you either A, have watched Cronenberg or B, have never watched Cronenberg, I'm surprised how you're in the genre at that point, but Dig deep into his filmography, and you're going to find some fucked up shit. And I think sometimes the horror genre needs that. Also, he's in Jason X, and he gets killed in the beginning. Shout out to that. But speaking of body horror, and Jason X for that matter, we need to get into E, effects. Which what I mean by that is special effects, practical effects, and what really makes this genre boom. Because what I think is important is we've all seen horror movies where we look at it and go... It's not believable because that just doesn't look real. And then you look at things like Cronenberg and you look at those movies like The Thing and our movie monsters from the 1930s, our zombie movies, anything where you have to believe that the mush on the ground is brains and it's not just a pig's bladder filled with jello. It has to look good. And the effects people like Tom Savini, Greg Nicotero, Stan Winston, Phil Tippett, legends of the industry that have made the grossest things you can think of and have haunted your dreams and inspired people to dive deeper into a genre of fucked up shit as I mentioned before I do want to mention some other names as well because there's a reason why we have the Oscars for best special effects and that is the man Rick Baker behind American Wolf in London Ray Harryhausen I had to say that name slowly because I would have messed it up five different times. But stop motion effects, master. And my guy, my favorite, uh, Rob Botine, because of the thing, truly changed the way that we do horror. Uh, Chris Wallace, who worked with Cronenberg, as I mentioned before. And then going all the way back, Lon Chaney Sr., um, The Man of a Thousand Faces had a box where he had all of his special effects in them and he would put on whatever he wanted to have his face look like that day. So you're looking at the old Phantom of the Opera and the old monster movies from the 1920s and 30s. Lon Chaney Sr. was the man who really kicked that off. And there are so many other special effects artists that I'm not shouting out, but just know that you should learn their names. Um, All these people that I've mentioned, if you've never heard of them before. You should... Read about them, study them, see why your movies scare you and why everything looks so good. It's because all these people have dedicated their lives to making things look creepy, oozy, pussy, bloody, and just downright scary. And I think without them, the genre is not what it is. F is a bit different because F is for Fangoria. Fangoria is a magazine company starting in 1979, that has always shown a light onto horror. And what's fun about Fangoria is that if you look back on the cover photos and the people that it's always spotlighted, spot lit, spot something. But the people that they've always let be in those magazines have really shaped that 80s and 90s horror field that we've kind of seen Lead into the slasher genre, to the rehype of the slasher genre, to monster movies of that era, to our mid 2000s gore fest that we see. Fangoria has been cool because over time, they also have moved on to Twitter and X and Instagram, and they've moved towards different ways to get their news out. But a news source strictly dedicated to horror is something that is so important because in the era of magazines and print media, sometimes. People avoid horror because it is obviously too scary for the general populace. So a magazine that is there to really shine a light onto horror and creepy shit is something that should be reveled in. And yes, F could have been something related to movies more than just Fangoria, but I think the magazine that's showing you all the deep and disgusting weird movies that are coming out and things you might have never seen before because your theaters aren't talking about them, that's important to really showcase. G is for giallo. And for those of you who are not cultured with international films, that's okay. But if you like murder mysteries, you like sexploitation style movies, and you like people wearing black leather gloves, you are going to like giallo. Um, The two big forces being Dario Argento, Mario Bava, and movies like Suspiria, Twitch of the Death Nerve, Deep Red... Phenomena, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, Alice Sweet Alice, Cat of Nine Tails, Blood and Black Lace, Pieces, Black Sabbath, Bloody Sunday, all these movies have inspired so many of your popular filmmakers now, but have a focus in pairing your horror-style classic tropes uh, with the murder mystery, and that inspired the slasher genre. A lot of those kills have kind of been translated over to American movies. I know one of the big ones being from Twitch of the Death Nerve, aka Bay of Blood, and that being translated over to Friday the 13th Part 2 with the bifurcation. We talked about that in the Friday the 13th Best Kill episode. But typically these movies are going to have dubbed over words because just like spaghetti westerns, typically what they would do is they'd have their actors speak their own native tongue and then they dubbed dub them over um, erotic style storylines paired with graphic blood, um, graphic kills. I mean, Suspiria has one of the greatest openings of all time. Um, crazy scores. I mean, again, if you listen to Suspiria, Goblin is just wrecking that soundtrack in the best way, but the killer being behind the camera, usually wearing black leather gloves and trying to figure out who did it by the end. But these movies inspired almost every slasher that you've seen and again going back to effects i think this also inspired many of those effects artists as well Um, and if you've never watched a giallo film giallo being italian for yellow because of the novels that came out in the 30s that had yellow covers because they're mystery novels so there's a little fun fact for you I really encourage you watch Suspiria, I really encourage you watch um, A Bay of Blood or Twitch of the Death Nerve, whichever one you can find, they're both kind of titled the same, Deep Red's one of my favorites, but great movies if you can get past that they're not American. And speaking of not American films, Hammer Horror is H. Hammer Horror is the 50s and 60s and 70s, um, kind of that period, they still make some more movies kind of going into later generations, but... Really that period of remaking those classic monster movies with all British casts. And the all British cast are led mostly by Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, Vincent Price is in there as well. But these are modern, and I say modern with quotes, retellings of these stories with a different twist at the end. Dracula, Frankenstein, The Mummy movies that started to showcase blood and gore i mean frankenstein that first movie of them curse of frankenstein uh you watch the horror of him putting the body together and it's the first time you're seeing that kind of viscera on screen uh and they're usually having the same actors play different parts in all these movies so as i mentioned those names they're gonna be showing up constantly in these movies and i think that's the fun of it it's kind of like your own shared little universe But before the MCU was a thing. There's one more shared universe way before this. Um, We're going to talk about that later on. But Hammer Horror was a new style of movie that came out. And what's fun is that in the 70s and the 80s, this is getting shown on late night television, and you're watching different takes with a little more blood and gore. And again, if you haven't seen these, I really encourage uh, Curse of Frankenstein, Strine, Stein, Um, The Dracula movies are great because, again, if you give me Christopher Lee in anything, I'm going to eat that shit up. But there are a lot of movies that are in Hammer that don't involve those monsters. The Horror Express, The Devil Rides Out, The Abominable Snowman of the Himalayas. Movies that – I mean, obviously, The Abominable Snowman has monsters in there. But it's different than the typical universal monsters you're going to be seeing. And I think these movies are cool because it kind of refreshes that genre and also adds so much more with so much more depth in a British styling to the horror movie genres that we um, obviously know and love. But speaking of adding to the genre, I is Indie Horror. Horror movies that are produced outside of studios um, made for typically smaller budgets and rely on tips and tricks and camera work to scare its viewers. But the fun thing is is that a lot of our favorite genre pieces and staples start out as indie horrors. Evil Dead and Friday the 13th are both indie, um, not you know produced by any sort of big company. They later would be added to the studio machine. But what's cool is... Kind of speaking of which from earlier, Blumhouse started out as being an indie horror um, producing company. Um, but movies like Terrifier that came out, um, Trauma is kind of one of those um, indie-ish horror style genre filmmakers. Uh, I'm not going to say that they're fully indie, but um, usually they're made for those low budgets. And you start to get a little more creative with those movies when you look at what kind of indie horror films are out there um technically anything by a24 has fallen into that well but eraserhead um night of the living dead is technically indie horror as well phantasm it follows texas chainsaw massacre one of my personal favorites reanimator all are indie horror i think a lot of people know now that some of those movies get picked up by studios and some of the directors get picked up with studios but indie films are so pivotal to horror movies because you can make them for cheap, and you just got to rely on you know no-name or low-name actors with special effects to really amp up all that you have with your budget, and you get some really fun projects. So I think we all can look at indie horror and smile knowing that that is really what has shaped this genre uh, in these latter years, in like the 60s, 70s, um, along with the ones that we've mentioned before. But speaking of shaping a genre, I think that the 90s and the 2000s started to get this little twist into J-horror. Um, Japanese horror films like Ringu uh, that came over as The Ring, The Grudge, The Eye, um, usually more suspense-ridden films, uh, not up like slashers, but movies that fall on the psychological spectrum. J-horror really shaped that mid-2000s in Americanized horror films. But I think it's important to look at, when you're looking at horror, what scares different cultures. And J-horror probably is the best example of this, Uh, kind of focusing to blend um, religion, supernatural, things with ghosts, um, and then the psychological aspect of that warping your mind. Uh, But then movies like House kind of come out. and Again, that is just a haunted house in a completely different style setting. Um, And even going all the way back, the Fear of nuclear fallout and nuclear families brings us Godzilla and those monster movies that have really, again, created an entire new genre. Um, J-horror is not just those ghost movies from the early 2000s, but is a wide range of films that it has really added to our lexicon. And if you've never seen a J-horror movie, again, I think everybody's fault with Japanese horror films or international horror films is the language barrier. If you can get past that, you're really going to find some of the best horror movies of all time. I mean, we have our Ringu episode a couple weeks back. I highly encourage listening to that, and I highly encourage watching that. But watch the original Godzilla movie. It's tragic, it's sad, and Godzilla's pretty fucking scary, folks. And I know that I said that American horror in the 2000s was kind of shaped by J-horror and also a lot of political fears is how we get like torture porn movies like Saw. But if there's someone that shaped horror and is still showcasing his touch on the horror genre, K is for the King, Stephen King himself. Starting off with his first book, Carrie, um, I don't think a lot of people realize how many horror movies he has influence on. One fun little note is that when he saw Evil Dead, he helped get that pushed into more theaters. But his movies like It, Pat Cemetery. I'm not gonna say Max Morrow is a good one, but I mentioned earlier Christine, Salem's Lot, Cat's Eye, Cujo, Creep Show with George Romero, Stephen King. I mean, we all know Stephen King, but I don't think people realize how many books he's written and therefore how many movies have been made because of him. We all know the main ones like The Shining and the ones that I listed before you, but. Misery, The Mist, 1408, and even non-horror movies like The Shining and Stand By Me, those are all Stephen King. So just thank him if you ever... I know we've said in the past he listens to this podcast, so thanks, Stephen King, but just know that anything that scares you, Stephen King's thought of it before. Our next letter, L, is for a man who actually inspired Stephen King, and also another prominent horror figure who is not in the A to Z, but his influences will be kind of heard all over the place here but guillermo del toro Um, l is for lovecraft hp lovecraft Um, lovecraftian horror is a very common trope and that kind of falls in like the spectrum of cosmic horror so one of the more recent movies was color out of space but anything involving cthulhu that's him Uh, reanimator is also Uh, H.P. Lovecraft, and there are a lot of different stories that H.P. Lovecraft had created. Unfortunately, when he was alive, they weren't really as popular, but it has inspired a multitude of creature features in a sense, as you would say, but typically, as I mentioned, cosmic entities larger than our grasp of knowledge here on Earth, not your typical monster or Godzilla or things like that. It's going to typically be some sort of demented being from another dimension, uh, that will slowly take over people or bodies or towns things like that so that's where lovecraft comes into play and i think we have to always pay homage to the past as we mentioned earlier and lovecraft is one of those names that is now synonymous with the genre and lovecraft in horror has become a genre in itself thanks to this man right here kind of bouncing off of that though m m is for monsters now monsters can be a very wide-ranging kind of idea because monsters can be like I mentioned creatures as in the creature features Godzilla, Anaconda, Tremors, Critters, Gremlins all creatures but then monsters can also be the you know internal style monsters your slasher killers Freddy, Jason, Michael, Leatherface those are technically all monsters as well so I don't know if we would ever have horror without monsters and i think it's one of those cliche things of like there's a monster in my closet uh the monster squad same kind of deal the universal monsters you know the dracula frankenstein frankenstein's monster in itself the name there is derivative to the just letter n that we have here and also horror is kind of connected in general but i think no matter what your definition of a monster it's synonymous with horror so there you go now, N and O are going to be kind of similar in a sense. Uh, N is going to be Netflix. And I kind of bouncing from that, I'm going to talk about streaming services. I've mentioned in the past that the way I got into horror was uh, video on demand services. Uh, but things like Prime, Shutter is a really big, completely horror driven kind of Netflix style setup. But Netflix themselves have really stepped in to starting to add to the horror game Uh, with all of mike flanagan's work you also have stranger things really diving into horror technically yes not the movies that we're talking about but i think those are really important in letting new eyes younger eyes uh, and even people who are skeptical to horror as a genre can watch those can see that the genre is more than the tropes the sex the blood the gore and they can see that horror can be something larger. And I think streaming services, Netflix, Hulu, as I mentioned, Shutter is the big one. Um, those are so pivotal to people just getting horror right to their screens, not having to go to the video store and renting it. I think that's key. And then another thing, oh, is oh for on um, television. Uh, I had to kind of stretch that one out a little bit. But I think yes, we are a movie podcast. This is the A to Z of horror, though, and I think it would be. Wrong of me to not pay homage to all of the horror television shows that have come along that have not only showcased, you know, horror properties, but also horror movies. So we'll go off the properties first. Scooby-Doo, The X-Files, I mentioned Stranger Things, Tales from the Crypt, Goosebumps. All those TV shows are so important. Twilight Zone is a huge one. The Simpsons Treehouse of Horror, too. They parody all those movies and getting those to people's screens is so cool that they can be able to see that, look at the other movies and be like, oh, yeah, that's the reference that uh, to The Shining there. Oh, that's Dracula. Um, and all those other shows are gateway horror in a sense. You know, watching Scooby-Doo and watching Twilight Zone when you're younger could really be a thing that pushes you to watch other movies. But speaking of watching movies on TV, you can't talk about horror on TV without talking about Joe Bob Briggs, Sven Gulli, Elvira people who would really dedicate their lives to, yes, showing bad horror in a sense, but still showcasing horror that might not ever get to see the light of day if you didn't go to the video store and see the box or anything like that. So, I mean, Joe Bob Briggs is still going strong with The Last Drive-In, again, on Shudder. But those characters and those people, I think everybody had one in their town that would be on at Saturday at twelve o'clock at night on the local channels and be like, hey yeah, here I'm showing you and it would be this black and white weird movie or it might even be the hammer horror films or something that you could get the rights to really easily. Night of Living Dead's one of those ones because of all the issues with putting it in the copyright office, things like that. But I think these kind of shows and horror shows in general are so important to opening people up to watching more horror and they are horror. And I don't know if I could have a podcast without talking about those icons and all those shows that I mentioned. So that's really important. Q is going to be an obvious one. It's for queens, a.k.a. Scream Queens. There was a – speaking of TV, it's an okay TV show that focused on uh, a bunch of random Scream Queens. But – Scream Queens are going to be kind of like your final girl or just those people who are in the movies to scream their lungs out when they're getting killed. Uh, Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street, Sydney um, Prescott from Scream, ironically enough, and the big one, Jamie Lee Curtis from Halloween. But there are countless others that have come along, and that term is synonymous with horror. And we love that women are prominently showcased in horror. Yes, sometimes they are more damsel in distress than they are anything else. But Scream Queens and Final Girls, which we'll talk about in a little bit, are pivotal to the horror genre. Even going back to those universal monsters. you got to have someone that's going to scream at the wolfman. you got to have someone that's going to be falling prey to Dracula. you got to have that extra part there. Hell, The Bride of Frankenstein is technically a little more important than Frankenstein himself. And that movie is... A little bit better as well, but R is going to be religion because if anybody grew up with any sort of religious backing, or at least is familiar with religion, you know the fear of God and heaven and hell really weighs on a body and a mind. And that's where you relive Stephen King books as we mentioned. And Carrie is a really big one that focused on that. But The Exorcist is huge with that. Um, Any sort of religious guilt can be really milked with those kind of movies and we know all those types. Uh, Drag Me to Hell, The Rite, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, The Haunting in Connecticut, any sort of haunting or demon possession movie is religious in nature. And yes, you can have paranormal, but typically that leans into – and there's a line from From Dust Till Dawn and he's like, if these are demons, that means there's a hell and that means there's a heaven and so you better start believing and uh, what a great part of that movie. But yeah, religion and horror go hand in hand because sometimes uh, the best way to get your message across is by scaring the shit out of somebody. And uh, religion sometimes does that. Or some religions do. But S, a little bit different and Diverting Path. Slasher. The slasher genre is so important. Even though I had a really small heyday, only from like late 70s to really early 80s. But that's where they start to crank out movies because slasher movies are cheap, um, but the heyday being Halloween, Friday the 13th, and Nightmare on Elm Street kind of falls in that. But then it dives out of the way. Um, but you also have things like Psycho, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Black Christmas, Peeping Tom eventually going into things like Candyman, and Scream, and Child's Play, and we still get some slashers here and there, but that genre really is that early 80s, things like Sleepaway Camp, The Prowler, um, movies that, you know, I think when you look back you might say, yeah, it's kind of copy-paste, you see the same tropes, like The Final Girl, as I mentioned, I just showed Teresa Halloween, and I had to explain The Final Girl circuit. And what the final girl is there's the book by carol clover men women and chainsaws that really focuses on that idea of the killer having its masculine phallic object and then the woman demasculinizing him when they take away his weapon and there's a whole bunch of backstory and you know layered nuance to these that if you don't want to believe in that or you don't think it's true that's okay I'm not saying it's 100% either, but it's a fascinating study of psychology to see why someone's driven to do those things in those movies, why people go to see those movies, and the outcomes. And I think those tropes are important, and there's a reason why they make a lot of money, because people like to see these, whether you like the blood or the gore, or you want to just cheer for someone to survive, or also, A, cheer for people to just not go upstairs in the house and run through those classic tropes. They are important. They are fun. And I... Know that they're not everybody's cup of tea, but they're my favorite, so I don't mind. We're always going to talk about slashers. Go listen to the History of Slashers episode. Okay, I'm done. T is for an icon of horror himself, Toby Hooper. And if you don't recognize the name, I can tell you two franchises. Well, one franchise and one important movie, even though a lot of people say that it was mostly made by somebody else. Toby Hooper is responsible for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1 and 2, and I believe produced some of the rest of them. But he also directed Poltergeist, even though some people think it's Steven Spielberg. He produced it and Toby directed it, an iconic horror movie that I think a lot of people count as like one of the first movies they've ever seen for horror. And it's actually one that I recommend a lot of people will watch when they're looking to get into the genre. But not only that, he directed some episodes of classic horror-focused TV shows like Tales from the Crypt and Body Bags, the John Carpenter-driven horror anthology movies um movies and quotes because they're tv movies but then he also directed Salem's Lot um the mini series that came out with Stephen King um but we can mention Funhouse it's not my favorite movie it's another horror movie that he did but I don't think you could see the horror genre you know be what it is now without the Texas Chainsaw Massacre truly changing what movies could be in the theater and Poltergeist kind of breaking that stereotypical horror norms of them being like these sleazy movies poltergeist is huge and it is one of those transcending horrors that some people like to watch um then i think it's really important to think about but if you're gonna talk about horror and you're gonna talk about people who make horror There is one company that has been horror from the start, and that is Universal. That's our letter U. And I bring up the Universal Monsters all the time. It was last year's most listened to episode. I love that episode, and I love the Universal Monsters. And Universal is more than that, though. They have made so many movies. they partnered with Blumhouse now to make all the rest of those movies that are coming out every single year. And you're seeing horror being represented at Hollywood Horror Nights, at Universal Studios, which I think is so cool, showcasing older movies and older horror properties, but even going all the way back to, like, Psycho, filmed on the Universal lot. The house is still there. So they've always been a staple of horror. And yes, I know a production companies sometimes can be the bad guy, and that's okay. But Dracula, Frankenstein, Invisible Man, Phantom of the Opera, yes, all stories before the Wolfman actually was an original creation but all those stories come from before and it's great that we now have these icons that will stand the test of time and keep getting remade and we're now getting more of those like i mentioned psycho but then diving into all of jordan peele's movies those are universal the recent michael myers movies the halloween movies although they're not that great are still universal same thing with the exorcist universal has picked up the slack on a lot of those and i think it's really cool that for almost 100 years now they have always been a shiny example of a studio that will never drop horror when some sadly try to um v is kind of a fun one and i'm interested to hear if people actually know what this is about um it kind of will blend into ratings of movies but We'll be talking about the video nasties. I always like to do a British accent for that. But video nasty, um, it's a term um, in the UK that is actually about movies, uh, specifically in the horror genre, but other movies as well, that um, are criticized for their violent nature, uh, blood, gore, sex, things like that. And if you look through um, video nasties, you will see a lot of, of really pivotal movies in horror's lifespan. Um, I also know that we've talked about in the past with Evil Dead episodes, Sam Raimi got brought up on obscenity charges because of how Evil Dead was so gory. Um, but there are many movies that have been caught up by the Video nasties ideology. Uh, it's not a thing anymore, but I think it's important to talk about horror and how it is viewed ironically enough, a lot of this was through religious eyes that were like, we don't want our children to see these kind of things. And ratings for horror movies have always been contemptuous. You will hear a lot of people saying like the unrated cut because the studio couldn't let that be released to theaters. You'll hear about movies getting their um, parts chopped down to really emphasize or de-emphasize the gore. And that is a story and a tale as old as time and the video nasties is one of the biggest and largest kind of frustrating periods for horror fans where you know the video uh recordings act you know eventually got replaced but really kind of put a damper on horror overseas and yes we have restrictions as obviously this podcast is in america but with the MPAA, uh, really locking down horror movies But that is a thing that is across the globe, and I think we can all unify saying, It fucking sucks! Just let us watch gore, and let us watch horror, and let us enjoy it, and make it look cool. That's what we want. But that's our V. Our W is a really sweet one. Um, As they say in Scream, for Wes. Wes Craven, the man behind so many of your Horror nightmares and horror movies that you might know and love. Biggest ones being Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream. But doing things like Last House on the Left, The Hills Have Eyes, Red Eyes, also one that kind of came out more recently that I'm a fan of. I know some people really like that one. But Wes had such a love for the horror genre and saw through so many franchises, as I mentioned. But going beyond that to things like Shocker, which is a different kind of movie, uh, and Wishmaster, which is so cool. Wishmaster really feels like a homage to the horror genre with all the legends that are in that movie. Uh, Wes always had a love for the genre, and he might not have always made the best movies, and sometimes those series went on a little too long. But it was a voice that we will just not see replicated anytime soon. Uh, I mean, we're getting other directors, but Wes, John Carpenter, all those directors that I mentioned in the past, Toby Hooper as well, those guys who just really loved what they did and had such a unique mindset for it. Scream is one of my absolute favorites. Nightmare on Elm Street is great as well. Those are going to be two pivotal points in horror history and they can never be redone. And I think it's really cool that we had one mind that made them both. Uh, X, again, we always have to do this. It's for extraterrestrial because there's not many X. I was going to do X-rated, but um, that's not really a thing. There are some X-rated movies overseas. It kind of falls in the video nasties. But uh, extraterrestrial movies, space is scary. The void of space is why we have a lot of slasher villains go to space. Uh, But Alien is one of my absolute favorite horror movies. And when I say extraterrestrial... That is a lot of random aliens that come to space, killer clowns from outer space, a movie that we just talked about in the previous episodes, but there was a new one that came out, No One Will Save You, I know a lot of people really like that, Species, Critters is from space, Signs, my personal favorite horror movie of all time, The Thing, which originated as The Thing from Another World, Howard Hawks, all aliens, all extraterrestrials, Nope as well, Fire in the Sky, extraterrestrial things have always scared us the fear of what's out there and the fear of people being like i was abducted by aliens and i saw all these things the fact that you can kind of just make up whatever you'd like and no matter what it is people are scared of aliens and it's always going to be something that is scary uh, even when we learn about space it's still scary but why is a uh a personal one for myself. And again, let me explain. It is YouTube's Dead Meat. And I've mentioned Dead Meat before. Um, it is a YouTube channel that is dedicated to showcasing the good, the bad, and the gory of horror. James A. Janice, Chelsea Rebecca, both from Michigan. Shout out to Michigan. But inspired this podcast. I have shared them with tons of people. But what's cool about that is there's two different sides, or multiple different sides, to the YouTube channel. And I think YouTube as a whole is important here because again when you're looking to explore horror and you really want to learn about something it's right there to be able to research and see reviews and see clips from movies to see if you can handle it i do that with teresa all the time like here's a clip what do you think do you think you can watch this movie and i know a lot of people that do that but dead meat came out i think maybe like six years ago and the kill count was the big one where they count the kills for slashes but it's slowly become this just Homage to the genre of horror and slashers, really specifically, but they've gotten a little bit weirder lately, and but in a good way. Um, it started to get more in-depth film review focused. The, the podcast done by Chelsea is very review focused, and that's where I get a lot of my inspirations from here. But I think it's important to have those kind of outlets for people to watch a movie, to learn about it, and then go watch it for themselves and They have now become so connected with the genre, going to different conventions and interviewing people. And I think that's important to keep horror alive. Yes, we will always see new things and new creators and directors. But as you've heard from this before in this podcast episode specifically – You have to also learn about the history to see where you're going, to be going, and they have always done that and been on both sides of the coin, and I really admire that, and so I think watching those videos and people being able to watch Kill Counts and see if they can handle the movie or see the goofy things, but then also be able to re-watch some of their favorite movies in that way, it's a cool style. But speaking of, you know, the past and the future, Z is for Zombie literally created by george romero um i think a lot of people think zombies have always been a thing technically they have been but it was focused more on voodoo uh and then in the 60s george romero creates the zombie that we know now the brain-eating uh lumbering and sometimes fast uh, undead and that has been a staple in horror ever since everything from his uh of the dead movies going towards the walking dead as we've mentioned 28 days later uh world war z zombies are everywhere and although when you break it down it doesn't really make sense that's okay we love zombies i love george romero and i think it's important to bring him up you also can see the start of people like tom savini as i mentioned with uh dawn of the dead the remake of dawn of the dead by Zack snyder really great horror movie there too we talked about that i think with natalie maybe um but zombies are always going to be popular and it's kind of funny when you look at history uh it reflects kind of what we are liking or seeing in the cultural zeitgeist so when you see things like war on television Zombies become a thing again. And that's where Saw comes into play too. And when there's like threats of nuclear war again, that's where we get different types of movies. Like history and what's happening in the world will always kinda dictate where we're at. And that's what inspired in a bit, or in a sense, George Romero to make this because that's when we're seeing Vietnam on TV finally, and we're seeing the horrors of war. And that's where we can showcase a different type of horror and it's an escapism for people. And Horror is always going to be that way, and this is where I'm going to be wrapping this up. Yes, it's crazy, and yes, it's gory, or it's scary, and it's psychologically tormenting to some people, and there's lots of different things that horror can be, but for a lot of people, it's cathartic, it's calming, um, or it's just something that scares them, but then when they leave, they go, well, at least that wasn't real. And even if they think it was real, the thrill of being scared uh, is from everything from roller coasters to haunted houses to, you know, just popping up and going, bah, in front of somebody. Horror movies can do that, and as you heard through this A to Z, there is a wide range of horror, all different types of genres, all different types of directors, All different types of characters, styles, whatever. And what I encourage you or hope you would do with this episode is if there was a letter that you didn't know about or if there was something that you aren't as familiar with, like if you don't know J-Horror or if you've never watched a Giallo movie or if you've never seen a Universal Monster movie or if you've never watched Poltergeist or you've never seen uh, Tales from the Crypt, something along those lines, or you don't know about Scream Queens. Research, watch something new, and keep the genre alive, even though the main goal of the genre is to kill. Not the viewer, but obviously, you know the drill. Thank you so much. Thank you for making this spooky season great. I am very happy with what people are listening to. I'm very happy with the feedback that I've gotten. Please let me know if any of these letters I missed. I'd love to hear what you think I missed and why I should have put in a certain letter. I tried to branch it out as much as possible. And I tried to touch up on a little bit of everything, both past, present, and future. And I hope I did a good enough job and I made you all proud. And let me know what you want for next year. I know I mentioned every single year. I think next year we're gonna do the rank the scream franchise from worst to best. I'd love to do child's play. We finally got to do Killer Clowns from our space, which is great. I'd love to do reanimator and just really go fucking crazy. We will do another musical themed horror episode for Teresa and I, Rocky Horror. Maybe it'll be Phantom of the Opera, as we mentioned, but, and all obviously speculation. But I obviously love horror, and it will always be interspersed in our monthly episodes. I don't stray away from it by any means, but I try to add a little bit of horror taste throughout the year because that's where it should be. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for participating, and y'all know the drill. Be kind. Please rewind. intro song from youtube audio library by dj williams recordings done on clean feed podcast distributed by anchor original logo created by friend of the pod david current logo created by friend of the pod liz purring by storm